All right, well, welcome back to this next installment of Profiles in Courage, which is a nod to the old JFK work, those of you who might have read that book back in the day, uh, where I just get a chance to talk to some pretty extraordinary people that you might not have heard of that are challenging the status quo, presenting, in my opinion, the best of civic and economic resistance, addressing a, a social injustice in our day and time. And in this episode, I'm really pleased to have two people with me, Lindsay Bird and Nasir Ahmad. We're going to talk a little bit about a part two to a piece that just went live a few days ago on educational disparity. And this is zeroing in on one particular challenge that some young men and women are experiencing here in the United States, specifically in the city of Modesto, in accessing the kind of education that's going to lay a strong foundation for their life ahead. So let me just say welcome to both of you. I really appreciate you giving me the time to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, take a few minutes and I'll let both of you kind of ping pong back and forth, however you want to do it. But share with us briefly the social injustice, the challenge that you are seeking to address and what personally inspired you to tackle this issue? How did you get connected with it? What's a little bit of your story and how it intersects with this particular challenge that people are facing? The particular challenge we're facing here in Modesto is access and equity for immigrant and refugee teenagers, high school students, in terms of age. And the reason that this has come about is the students that, that I serve as a teacher, and Mr. Nazir uh, helps me in that process as a bilingual paraprofessional, are all immigrant and refugees, many of which have significant gaps in their formal education before they arrive um, at our school. And unfortunately, some even arrive with no formal education at all. So we are tasked with not only getting them proficient in English as quickly as possible and keeping them on track to earn a high school diploma, but also working in remediation of all of the content knowledge you would assume um, a young person of that age would have received in their home country and language. Yeah. So the problem in Modesto is the students are enrolled by their age rather than their educational experience meaning a 17-year-old would be made um, a junior or a senior. And then, unfortunately, our local school district is defining 18 as the traditional age high school ends and wanting to push these young people into adult education, which would be fine if there was a program in our community that was set up to serve the needs that I just mentioned before. Unfortunately, there is not. Our adult education is all online, which, of course, isn't accessible to students who are new to the language and even if they are proficient in English, not an ideal way to assimilate and learn the culture. So our struggle is to fight to keep them here. With These are students with a proven track record of excellent academic behavior and attendance who've earned the right uh, to stay and access the program that we have designed to meet students that come with those needs. Uh, we do have example policy from other cities in California and throughout the country that shows that according to Title III, these students should have access until age 21. So the local struggle and debate is to get our district to recognize their unique needs and to give them the access so they can become the independent and contributing members of society that they immigrated to this country to become. Yeah. Lindsay, you're coming at uh, this from the standpoint or from the perspective of an educator. 
and Nasir as well, but also you have the added personal connection because this is part of your story. And maybe share just briefly a little bit of your background and how you came to the U.S. and, and some of your hopes and aspirations for these young men and women who want to get caught up. Just uh, briefly, I want to explain that in Afghanistan is now in a kind of situation that the whole international community is busy there. So the people who work with the U.S. Army as a translators, interpreters, contractors, and they serve with them and their life is in danger or there is a big threat for them, for their families and for their kids. So the U.S. Embassy provide them a special immigrant visa for them and they bring them here to the, to the United States. So 90% or I can say 95% those who work with the U.S. Army as a translators, interpreters, their life, their care, their family is in danger. They cannot live there. And there is a big threat from Taliban, from Al-Qaeda, and from the bad people. So that's why the U.S. Embassy in Kabul provided them special immigrant visas to come here to the United States in order to be safe, in order to be in a peaceful environment, in order to have access to everything. So most of these people that they are coming here are moving here to the United States from Afghanistan. Their main goal is that not just to have a peaceful life, and they would like to have a full or complete access to education, especially they are focusing on their kids. 50% their goal, their mission is that they would like to come to the United States to educate their kids and to find good schools, good teachers, good environment in order to be educated. So that's why we are moving here. When I came here for the first time, so I was looking for a good school, a good source in order to educate my children. For the first time, I came here to Manteca, and I enrolled my kids in Manteca High School and in Manteca Elementary School. But actually, still they were complaining to me, and there was no any specific English language programs in order to, to get what they want. So they have some language barriers. Then finally, I searched through Google. I found that we have a language institute in, in Modesto. And there's a high school, there's a language institute. So I moved just for the education for my kids in order to get a better education, to be something, to be a good asset for the community. So I moved from Antica here to Modesto. And I enrolled my kids here in, in Modesto Davis High School in the English Language Institute. And two of them will be graduating this year. Actually, they are now senior. My main goal is that that we are we came here just to have full, complete access to education, peaceful life. You know, everybody who wants to come here, they love the Americans, they love the U.S. Constitution, and they love the environment. One thing that we all have in common here is, you know, all three of us parents uh, with children, and and that's universal. You know, parents want their kids to have the best opportunities they have. And so it sounds like there's a number of obstacles. We talked about the language obstacle, but specifically this age barrier where the system is uh, forcing these kids to leave behind the educational opportunity that they have with the Language Institute there in Modesto with no alternative that is language and culturally appropriate and that's going to help 
uh, also build bridges with the existing community there. So maybe could either of you or both of you take a few minutes now and talk a little bit about the process that you've gone through to try to address this systemic breakdown uh, of a really critical educational opportunity for this next generation of, of young immigrants and refugee children? Well, the program, uh, the Language Institute, opened our doors in 2009, and literally from the first year, we identified age as being a barrier according to current policy because of students coming with the gaps I mentioned before. In the process of advocating over the years, of course, it took, um, you know, educating families and teaching them about our system. Many come from countries and cultures where teachers are on a pedestal and considered next to parents in terms of the respect and power they're due. And it's a culture shock for them when we say, actually, you have more power than we do in terms of challenging the system. Um, And that's a challenge for them, even if we get them to understand that they're their child's best advocate there's language barriers. So in the process of recognizing that our students are different, we can't wait for their parents to change the system. The teachers that have this knowledge of the policies that need to be changed and the cultures that our families represent have created a community advocacy group, which is comprised of not just staff here, current and former parents, partners at our local junior college and adult education counterparts who have deep understanding of language acquisition and cultural sensitivity and understand why the existing programs in our community are not appropriate. And frankly, just volunteers that come in and and read with these young people or or help them on projects who instantly uh, fall in love have been willing to lend their voice by acting as surrogates. For the students' parents in meetings with site administration, district administration, board members, obviously, you know, here we are in 2018 and we still are facing the same issue. So although we are very proud of this coalition of advocates that we've created, fortunately, up to this point, our efforts haven't been successful. So we are now advising our families. They're taking the next step to getting legal advice because we hope that what we're experiencing here in Modesto, if we're able to address it locally, could potentially have a ripple effect uh, for all immigrant and refugee students of similar situations up and down the state who also happen to live in cities or school districts that don't recognize the specific needs of these particular students when they arrive late and have gaps in their education. Yeah, that's exactly why we take this time to share these stories is because there might be these same kind of challenges that are going on that you're not aware of with regards to the immigrant and refugee community in your city here, whether it's in the state of California, it could be in other states across the U.S. And so don't be surprised if in hearing this challenge uh, and you go and research a little bit, you might find out that others have a similar challenge right where you're at. So listening to the thoughts and the advice and, and the story can be immensely valuable to a lot of other folks. I'm just wondering when you have been dealing with some very difficult situations and it seems like you've run into some specific obstacles i was wondering if you could share with those who are listening to this podcast something that has happened that has encouraged you that has inspired you to keep going what has kept you in this fight and then for those who are listening do you have a word of of wisdom or encouragement for them if they're addressing a similar issue that will hopefully keep them in the fight as well As a teacher, we have the strong belief when these highly motivated students who just intrinsically valued education because 
they had lived without it for so long, if they were given equity, that they would achieve greatness. And we were very fortunate for many years to have site-level administrators that allowed us to kind of live in that gray area of policy to give us the benefit of a doubt. And in those years, they gave extra time to students that came with the gaps I described before. And with the gift of that time, these students were able to not only graduate high school, but to graduate university eligible. We have students who didn't even know the Roman alphabet when they enrolled in our program, who were able to go straight from our program to CSUs and UCs all up and down the state. We have a graduate who's getting his master's at Stanford next year. We have a young lady who received a $48,000 scholarship and will be attending the UOP pharmacy program. So that's what keeps me going in this fight is the fact that it's not just an idea that if these students gain access, they can achieve greatness. We have living proof. It also makes it sad that even though we have these human examples of what is possible, that our local officials are trying to take that away and go backward. But what I would recommend to anyone out there who's facing these barriers is to know that memorializing policy that honors equity and cultural diversity and is culturally competent will not just help the students who are in your classroom today, but those who will be there in the future. Because the immigrant refugee population mirrors international events, and we don't know a year or two from now um, what the students will bring to the table. So having any kind of policy that is flexible enough to welcome them and give them access and have the end result be the same, you know, literacy, numeracy, the ability to do anything they want, whether that's college or career, and, you know, the American dream of, you know what, if, you, if you're here and you work hard, anything is possible. If, if we can eradicate barriers to that, I mean, I don't just think that it's the right thing to do as educators or as parents, but I mean, that is our obligation as Americans is to keep that promise to the next generation. Nasser, just wondering if there's been a particular story or experience along this journey for you that has encouraged you, uh, where you saw maybe a breakthrough, a, a change in someone's heart or mind, even though you're not there yet, you're still fighting this battle. But I'm wondering if, from your perspective, if there's been a moment that has encouraged you in this long fight for equity, for educational opportunity for these young men and women. Actually, to, to tell you the truth, yeah, for the first time, I was one of the best volunteers to support this program. And I have been invited uh, several times to Davis High School, especially by the English Language Institute. And by Mrs. Bird, Lindsay, she's here, and she is invited, invited me, and I have uh, participated in their meetings. Actually, they were fighting before for that. So I received, actually, I want to tell you the truth, I received a lot of phone calls from the community members, from the community people, that what's going on here, you know? They cannot afford this, and they became really sad when they hear the bad news that they are kids when they are over age. They may not have access to the education. And some the rumors are, for example, when they are denied sometimes, I don't want to mention when and how, but these are the big, big challenges, and these are the, the big obstacles that encourage me and motivate me to fight for this justice and to fight for their rights. So there are a lot of people, a lot of students that they are concerning about their futures and a lot of coming here in the future. And maybe this message will be spread 
to other families and other students who are coming in the future, look, don't go to such place. And if you are 18 or older, you may not have access to the education. Yeah, so it sounds like both the fact that you've made this journey yourself and you're hearing from the voices of those who are in the community who are pointing out this inherent contradiction of the promise of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness in the United States and how part of that is deeply grounded in equality of opportunity in terms of education of our children. Well, I just want to say, again, just very inspired, and I hope others, I know others are, who will get a chance to listen to this And I just want to conclude maybe with that in terms of if there are individuals who maybe are hearing about this for the first time, they might be here right in Modesto, in the county, or maybe in another city here in California or another part of the country where they might be experiencing a similar difficulty. Maybe you could give them a couple of quick practical steps that they could take to move forward and to engage on this issue. Well, if anyone is interested in helping us locally or even from afar with our specific issue, Contacting board members of our school district through the website via email would be really appreciated because unfortunately they tend to only hear from people who are motivated by fear. A lot of citizens have called to express exaggerated concerns such as what if a 20-year-old boy is in class with a 15-year-old or they'll be too strong or what if they buy cigarettes and sell them at school and I just hope that people hear this call of action to have reason guide policy, not fear. And especially if you're an individual hearing this who who knows an immigrant or refugee and knows the quality uh, citizens that they are and how they contribute to our community, even if the education policy isn't something a person feels comfortable expressing an opinion on, then at least stand up for, for humanity and that we should give every person a chance and we shouldn't deny others based on fear. So that's something that could be done by engaging in our issue or even spreading that message for your friends and neighbors locally. Those voices of reason drown out those who use fear to keep others from accessing opportunity. Of those who hear this and who resonate with it, there will never be any change to addressing a systemic injustice, this kind of disparity, unless those who, like you said, uh, think reasonably and with compassion, raise their voices and let their elected officials at whatever level know that this is wrong and that we need to take common sense steps to change it so that all of these, again, amazing young men and women... These families are extraordinary families. They have taken unique risks in their lives to stand with this country, and it only makes complete sense that we make these kind of changes to these broken systems so that they have every opportunity that we would want. You know, for Lindsay and myself as as U.S.-born citizens that we want for our children, it's the same thing that Nasir and, and others want for their children. Thank you for listening to this podcast, and remember that you can check out more of my takes on faith, social justice, and pop culture, along with other life-inspired musings by visiting www.curtelewis.com. If you enjoyed and benefited from this and other publications featured on my website, would you take a few minutes to show your support? First, you can share it with your friends via social media, text message, email, word of mouth, pigeon bird, cave art, whichever you prefer. Second, if you're listening on iTunes, take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast and to give it a positive review. Lastly, you can help me to continue to produce these podcasts by making a monthly or one-time financial contribution. Click on support on the website to learn more. Again, thanks so much for listening.